Right. Well, one of my neighbors actually is a stock trader. Like he's a day trader. That's what he does. Um, and I asked him, so tell me about GameStop. Are you, are you in on that? What do you think? He's like, oh, I, stay, I stay away from all that. I'm like, you are a day trader, an options trader, and you're not interested in the GameStop, what's going on? He goes, no, that's, that's, that's online memes. Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get started, I just have a few short messages. First off, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow and help me get on bigger and better guests. Also, don't forget you can pre-order my book, To the Moon, The GameStop Saga, right now by following the links in the description below. We've also got a few quick sponsors for the show today. Keep It 100 with Dakota and Chorsey is a podcast that takes an inside look at the relationship of two friends and what shapes them. It might be all about two friends, but the show is far from sweet and wholesome. It's not for the faint of heart, so don't listen if you're overly sensitive or around your grandma, unless you want a lecture about the degradation of society. If you've always dreamed of a podcast where they can discuss whether gerbils masturbate, or pitch a Pad Thai Hentai fusion restaurant, then this is the podcast for you. Though, if that is what you're dreaming of, I would like to refer you to a psychiatrist. New episodes of Keep It 100 are released every Monday, and you can check out their website at ki100pod.com for new episodes, merch, and to sign up for their newsletter completely free. That's Keep It 100, available wherever you get your podcasts. Keep it nasty, keep it 100. Links for everything will be in the description below. So check them out and then please enjoy the podcast. So uh, hello and welcome to another episode of uh, Chatter. Today I'm here with Tim uh, Winnegar, the Frank M. Fryman Collegiate Associate Professor of Engineering in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering at the University of Notre Dame. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. That's a long title, man. Yeah, well, as you get in this job, like they keep giving you longer and longer titles. That means that um, uh, you're doing something right or something terribly wrong. But uh, exactly. well, it seems like you're doing something right. So uh, yeah, yeah. So we are here to talk about the the concept of the hive mind and the internet and social media and all those those wonderful things. Um, because yeah, I came across your work uh, after I saw your TED talk a while ago, and then sort of revisited it as I've been exploring this idea of the hive mind as part of writing my book so uh mm-hmm. why don't you kick us off with what exactly is a hive mind yeah that's a great question uh so this idea of a hive mind is something that i didn't come up with but i think it kind of um lashed on to seven or eight years ago when i was uh, looking at how people behave in online social spaces uh the idea that people um, when they're on Facebook and, and Twitter and Reddit, they are not seeing um, random things. So they're not seeing the most recent post. They're not seeing a random post. Instead, they're seeing things that are, are been made popular. And so the posts that become popular are popular because other people have voted on them to make them, they've liked them or shared them or upvoted if you're on Reddit to make them become popular. And so people see the things that other people say are popular. And this is like kind of a self-reinforcing um, system to where people see things, they read things that other people think are popular so that they have a chance to vote on them. And the more that people vote, the more people see them. And so that reinforces what popularity begets popularity. And um, as 120 or 150 years of research has shown, people start to, they, they are what they read. And so if you start seeing headlines and images and posts of popular content, of other people think your content, you'll start taking that and, be in, um, uh, internalizing it, and then you'll start thinking in that way. And so popularity begets popularity. And then the way that people use language, the way they uh, post, the way they have opinions is cultivated um, in this kind of hive mind. And, and as you become, a new user comes in, they slowly become um, 
inter, uh, they, they slowly become part of this group where uh, popularity is what the, what the group says it is. So this idea of a hive mind is um, where everyone thinks the same and um, they share a language and they share group mores and uh, these things. And so what I've been trying to do is study how does this hive mind come about? Uh, what are the consequences of that? Um, what are the, uh, can we change what people think and how they believe and uh, what they talk about? Um, and we've been doing that for the past 10 years or so, and um, got a lot of really interesting stories to talk about. <laughs> well, I am, I'm sure we'll get into, into the sum of that. So why, yeah, so why don't we start, you, you kind of give me a nice path there. Why don't we start with like how, how this hive mind comes about you um, or, or how, the, yeah. Yeah, how a hive mind begins to create itself in your mind yeah so the how the hive mind um so what we we started off with this idea of um this idea of popularity we wanted to say okay how come um one thing is popular but another is not um and the idea here was to find out can we um, make uh, a, a robot some some stupid agent that would um potentially change or manipulate or uh, otherwise affect, influence what became popular online. And so what we did is we wrote a bot, uh, a robot, a computer program that went and every two minutes it went to a social media site and it found the most recent thing at random without looking at the title. We, um, we took that item and then we did one of three things because we're trying to do some science here. We, uh, as a control, we just did nothing. We watched it. But half of the time we liked it. Or if we're on Reddit, we upvoted it. Um, if we're on Twitter, we retweeted it. And then that little nudge, that push of information, then goes into the system as some kind of interaction. Then the system, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, takes that into their algorithm and then surfaces it up. It goes higher in the chain of what other people see. And so then other people will come along and they'll say they'll see this um, higher in their, their news feed. And then they'll read it and they'll have a greater chance of upvoting it or liking it. Um, and so what we found is that a, a single like, upvote, retweet has an enormous effect in what people see. Um, and I, th I think it was actually, now this is a little while ago, so the numbers might be slightly, I, I might get these slightly wrong, but if I remember correctly, um, if I upvoted you on Reddit, the score of that post was twice as high as if I didn't. And if I up, and also it was, I think, 25% more likely to reach the front page. That was just one vote early on. So this idea of votes, popularity begets popularity. People see what other people vote on um, is kind of how this, this, what I'm calling the hive mind comes about. Um, and this is not just on Reddit. The same thing happens on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any kind of thing. So and it's a consequence of the algorithm. Um, because it's trying to surface what people you know want to see yeah so are are do you think uh, these um do you think these algorithms uh the youtube algorithm the twitter the facebook um and the reddit algorithm as well i'd say that's potentially less powerful in the way it selects but i could be wrong um but do you think that the the algorithms that have been created to to make your timeline or news feed or whatever that platform calls it do, is that like the most powerful, like single piece of technology that, that exists in the world? Because it seems like it's like what they label as things to push up or push down the algorithm or the way they categorize things is the difference between like five and a billion people seeing something. Yeah, uh, I think I haven't really thought about it in that context. I'm trying to think of something that's more powerful in modern society than the newsfeed. Yeah, it's difficult. And honestly, that's <laughs> tough. I, I nothing comes to mind. Hmm. But so you're absolutely right. And the, the same thing happens. Um, the same thing was true before, right? There used to be um, a handful of editors that worked at CBS and the New York Times and NBC and ABC, that they decided the news that made the half-hour TV show at the end of every day, right? And those people were extremely powerful. And they were usually professionals. They had a code of ethics, and they had 
hopefully everyone's best interest in mind. But we've kind of said, you know what, let's get away from that. Let's have just everyone collectively serve as the editors of the news. And so through our votes, through our likes and retweets, and then what the algorithms, you know, takes and decides based upon all that information, that becomes um, front page above the fold. Um, so we are now the editors of our friend's news. We, you and I collectively determine what our neighbors and news, uh, neighbors see in the news, which is great. It's democratized things. There is no small cabal of editors and journalists in charge of what is news. At the same time, those were professionals and maybe they, so there's good and bad in that, right? Yeah, no, the decentralized nature of the power is is always excellent until things fall apart and you realize why things were centralized. <laughs> exactly. So there's this idea of the tragedy of the commons, right? Yeah. This is, you know, this is why we can't have nice things because people, right? Um, but it's also, it's also because um, people don't have time. Um so that they they rely on the the algorithm the filter um, and and back twenty years ago the editors to tell them the news that was fit to print that's the New York Times is um, their motto right all the news that's fit to print and now it's just everything and we rely on the algorithm to tell us what is important or not um, and one of the things that we realized and we actually did a study uh, maybe four or five years ago now that looked at people's browsing behaviors. And we found that uh, people don't read the thing before they vote on it. I mean, I don't, uh, most people don't. In fact, on Reddit and Twitter, um, we found that 75% of all retweets and votes, upvotes, occurred without the user ever actually opening the link. <laughs> And on Facebook, I didn't do the study on Facebook, but I, I remember seeing a study somewhere that said it was like 95% of all likes and shares occurred without the user ever reading the thing. Wow. And then we wonder, where, where's all this fake news coming from, right? It's because we are the editors of the news, and we're not reading the things that we're, we're editorializing. Yeah. yeah, it's not even that. And that, that kind of suggests that it's not even people like – Get, seeing articles that have fa factually incorrect information in them. It's that people are just seeing a headline and repeating the headline to each other, which is mm -hmm. like can be really like misleading by itself sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And and that's where, you know, clickbait is a thing where you, they, they want you to click on the thing, but clickbait, it works for people to click on it, but really it's just that the headline alone most people when they go to facebook don't click on anything mm, um they just, they just browse in fact i remember uh watching my wife um uh she was on her phone and she was scrolling and we had this kind of tactile motion where we use our finger and we kind of scroll up on our phones right and i asked her a question and she looked up at me and i was talking to her but she kept scrolling on her phone it's just it's just a, a tactile motion that we make with our finger we're just scrolling we're all a bunch of scrollers reading headlines and every so often we'll like or share up about something, but we're too lazy to actually read the thing. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, and, and this takes a different question, right? Does Facebook and Reddit actually want us to read the thing? Oh, because if you read the thing, you're not on Facebook anymore. Mm. So that's, I don't know. Yeah. That's a, that's a, I mean, I guess that depends on how the algorithms put together. I know Twitter, for example, prefers native content. So they like you mm -hmm. to watch and see and and interact with things that are like images or videos on the platform rather than links out. Um, so they get mm -hmm. they're more visible to people when it's like a tweet or an image than it is if it's a link. Um, yeah. I just I just happen to to know that, but right. Um, and then also, I think Reddit spent untold millions of dollars trying to get their own image hosting and, and video hosting service um, for, for the same reason. Uh, fortunately, though, so based upon this research, not just myself, but you know others in this space as well, Twitter now will ask you before you retweet it. For some people, they'll say, are you sure you want to retweet this? You may consider reading it before you retweet it. Um, so they're trying to slow down this kind of rapid retweeting. 
Um, I don't know if it's working or not, but um, yeah, it's yeah, something that happened to me a few times. Yeah. And I was actually, I studied myself. I actually put myself in the study and I'm guilty as well. I, I was like, so the 75% for everyone, I was in the sixties that I upvote and retweet without reading the thing. I'm guilty. We all are. Mm. Um, I will say that that's perhaps a tiny bit skewed by, now this, this could be like a tiny factor, but just the idea that sometimes I will read a headline about something in something, I don't know, I'll see it somewhere and I'll read up about what's happening. And then later on, I will see people posting on Reddit or tweeting about it. And I already know what the article is about. I've already read like the information and I will tend to just like, yeah. tweet it because I'm like, oh, you know, I saw that. This is important. I didn't share it myself, but someone's made a good comment yeah. on it. Some, But again, that could be a, a really tiny thing. That's anyway, fair. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how... Hmm. I don't know how much there is one thing for on Twitter. The, the way we started this on Twitter was we, we looked at bit.ly links. And so bit.ly links will actually tell you how many times they've been accessed. And so um, I think that it was 75% of bit.ly links. They had never been clicked on. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. So oh. uh, that's, <laughs> and that's just the nature of it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it really is. Um Anyway, uh, I wanted to get to some of the the, the other things that I'd, I'd, I'd written down. We could spend forever talking about the Twitter algorithm. Uh, sure. So you you mentioned at the start there that the that your conception, at least, of a hive mind is one where everybody sort of tends to to be thinking the same. I think was the the term you'd used that it's mm-hmm. um, sort of pushing everyone in a, a similar informational direction, at least. Um, so do you see the different social media networks as different hive minds, or do you just see the internet as one hive mind? Uh, that's a great question. The different the different social media algorithms all have different uh, interfaces in the way their algorithms uh, interact with, with people. Um I think the better way to think about it is that as you get, as you, when you join a social media community, you link up with your friends and then your friends start sharing content and, and, and that kind of leads you into that direction. So you go down a rabbit hole depending on what community you kind of sign up to. So now we have this idea, not so much of a single hive mind, but as multiple kind of hive minds emerging um, where we have, there's a, uh, conservative and liberal and uh, maybe football and, and ice hockey, these hive minds of communities, echo chambers that some people call them, where as you enroll into the system, your initial follows and your initial signups take you into a space. Uh, that's the same thing on, on YouTube. There's this idea of like these, these rabbit holes you can go down on YouTube because if you watch one thing, your recommendations will be similar things. And you'll go down this rabbit hole and you'll eventually kind of get immersed in this sometimes just awful, terrible network of bad content. Um, and then you have to like, wait, well, how did I get here? Um, what has happened to me? And then, but you, you've spent the last two hours looking at, I don't know, how to build a dirty bomb or something, right? And it's just because the same kind of idea of you, the algorithms are trying to keep you on the site. And when by doing that, they're trying to show you, uh, the, the recommendations are based on things that you're looking at already and the things that your friends have looked at, people similar to you. And this recommendation is all about this idea of showing you things that they think you're going to like. Um, and that's self-reinforcing. The content reinforces itself, of course. Um, so to answer your question, I don't think there's a singular hive mind. There is an internet culture. Um, memes are a big part of internet culture, something I've been studying more recently. Uh, but as far as individual communities will have different languages. And that's a, a lot of the fake news that gets spread is spread by people who know that the information is false. So there's some research, not my research, but there's some other uh, research that's shown that People spread fake news within their own community as a reason. They know it's false. They know it's fake. They know it's not true. But it's as a it's as a, an in-group signal to say, 
I'm sharing this content to let you all know that I'm one of you. I want to be part of this club. In order to be part of this club, I'm sharing this information, so I'm one of you. And as people keep doing that, they start to kind of believe their own BS. And so that's just kind of echo chambers and this kind of um, tightening of, of and reinforcing happens in these communities. Um, and that's where I get more rabbit holes form. And it's, now that I think about it, it's, it's a really kind of difficult, almost beautiful quagmire of information and social signals that we find ourselves in. Mm. Yeah, it's and how do we fix it? I, I don't, I don't know. Do we need to fix it, right? Okay, because so I had, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, right? So my first book that I yeah. wrote, um, Brexit: The Establishment Civil War. About the first half of that was me literally just being like, "Look, people, we need to realize how dangerous the internet is um, for like spreading really false ideas, for uh, propaganda." for bad actors to exploit, especially um, things like the the way that Facebook's algorithm was set up to um, mm -hmm. reward interactions as in, like it didn't matter how hit, like the more, the more anger and hate basically, especially sort of through 2015, 16, 17, that, that was expressed on a post, the more people would react and the bigger it would get. And it kind of blew up like a billion different tiny little bombs slowly destroying our political conversation over a couple of years um and yeah so I, i'm i'm very familiar with all of the 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 concepts that you've mentioned as sort of like bad parts of that the the echo chambers the the mm -hmm. rabbit holes that you can go down like youtube for example i know is uh, yeah is has been bad it depends what their algorithm is doing at this exact moment as to how bad it is but it yeah. tends to drag you down. Like, say you're, say if you're like thinking about eating more vegetables, like your next video is recommended to be like the all vegetarian diet. And then if you watch a couple of those, it'll be like extreme veganism. Like, oh, don't eat anything with a shadow. And like, it takes you down these, <laughs> these um, like it takes you down like ridiculous <laughs> rabbit holes of like more and more extreme content. Exactly. But the because because that's what YouTube thinks you want and. And the more extreme, the, the more people cling to that content because it's interesting and it's different and new and extreme and yeah. Mm. But like the yeah. thing that I, I'm really interested in at the minute is, uh, so I don't know how much you've been watching about um, the whole GameStop saga that has been sort of going on since, since January. Um, obviously, it's been very, very focused on Reddit. Um, mm -hmm. And... What I have witnessed over the past eight months is like what I chose to write about, which was this like community hive mind of people that has been like the kindest and in a way least crazy part of the internet that I have ever encountered. Like the what normally what happens, I've seen at least when when you get a whole bunch of people online, especially when you're talking when they're talking about like massive levels of fraud and corruption is it just descends into the like the worst kind of like discourse that you can possibly imagine it'll end up nearly always in some form of horrendous like Jews run the world sort of conspiracies right. and yeah it never ends well people people get into echo chambers like we've talked about but somehow mm -hmm. this the community that I've been watching that have been sort of slowly like researching and watching this thing happened with yeah, with GameStop and, and Wall Street. They've managed to stay not only really positive, really like nice to each other, and really focused on what they're after. And it's not descended into crazy, stupid madness. And it's made me reconsider whether it's whether we're, we've been sort of like I don't know, bad mouthing the internet. Maybe it's got a lot more to offer than we. Maybe it's more like the what we originally conceived it as rather than the pessimistic way that people have looked at it for the last five years. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, part of the culture of, of these communities. So the GameStop community that was on, um, oh, what's this? What's the subreddit? Um, well, Wall Street Bets. Yeah, right? well, boy, it's, it's come along. They've, and they've it, it is a handful of others, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the different communities will have different social norms, and some of them are, let's treat everyone kindly. Um, and that has to be moderated. And it could just be that if someone comes up with something crazy and that, that that's too far, um, the social mores will just 
of other communities say, no, you get downvoted and, and you get um, and maybe even moderated away. That's that's a very as far as the social interaction goes, that's a very healthy um, uh, kind of non non-terrible community. Now, as far as their actual aims and goals, that's another kind of discussion you could have financially. Um, there's a lot of, I don't know the lot, but there's a decent amount of talk about conspiracy theories about hedge funds who are actually doing a pump and dump kind of thing. They're supercharged charging this with, uh, through paid shills and accounts. Um, but now I think it has kind of legs of its own and, um, but you're right there. That is kind of a positive story. Now there's going to be now financially, there might be some bag holders of GameStop at the end. Um, and it might be some financial poor financial decisions that happen. Um, but if you think of most of the communities, if you look at the uh, college football community or the NFL community or ice hockey, they're, they're really pretty positive. Um, they're there to discuss a topic and they discuss, and there's some, kind of maybe a bro culture a little bit, but otherwise uh, there, it seems like a good place to be. It's where religion and politics get involved is when things kind of start to descend because I think the stakes are, it really has to do with a person's innate, deeply sense of self. If you're challenging someone's religion or political identity or gender identity, it becomes an attack on the person, their, their identity not just their their fandom, right? If you attack, I'm, I'm a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm from Kansas originally. If you say oh, the Chiefs are terrible, they're never going to win a game. Yeah, okay, cool. I mean, most people are going to like, that's fun, you know? But if you say that, um, I don't know, men are terrible or something about uh, how being male is toxic or something, that like, I, I identify as a man, um, that 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 cuts me, that cuts me deep. And I, I will retaliate because that's part of my identity. And the same, so religion, politics, different identities that we, people will defend and lash out. And then other people like to troll others because they realize that that's a good way to get people to lash out. And so they will do that as just kind of the same, uh, just like the traditional bullying, right? Um, you will latch onto something that because it hurts their feelings and it makes them lash out. So it's fun for people to turn the screws a little bit. Um, and that's what trolls are after. They're, they get their kicks from making people angry. And they don't, I mean, many of them might actually be racist or, or Nazis or something, but I see a lot of them are just off to get, get their kicks from making people mad because there's, there's a low, there's no consequences online. Yeah. So yeah, the troll like culture is really interesting. Uh, and I haven't studied it, but some people, um, so Jeremy Blackburn, for example, he's a professor up at, um, uh, up in the Northeast. Um, name? Sorry. He studies, huh? Who was that you're talking about? Oh, Jeremy Blackburn. Jeremy. Um, yeah. So he, <laughs> he studies, he says that he studies assholes on the internet. That's his job. <laughs> and so, he'll never run um, yeah, yeah, write that down. Talk to him. He's he's really great about just studying trolls and how they antisocial behavior. Um, but it's that's a whole another kind of mm, part of the internet culture is these kind of toxic things where, where just trolls are trying to make people angry because uh, it's fun and there's no consequences. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, so that gives a nice little segue into um, this next question. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, the online world and, and the offline world. So mm -hmm. a lot of the time when I hear um, people who would be very big within the internet culture as such, uh, people say like Eric Weinstein, um, Joe Rogan, um, people mm -hmm. who are, are, have huge followings online but don't really cross over into the sort of mainstream media or real world sort of realm. And I was curious as to, because you'd spoken about this in the TED Talk, actually, um, about mm -hmm. this like feedback loop or the loop of things that happen like from the offline world to the online world and, and sort of accelerating and, and 
sort of contributing to the madness that then comes into the next one, essentially. Mm -hmm. Do you, how much influence do you think the on, online world really has? Because, yeah, so there's there's quite a lot of times that I th see things that are just massive on online like you couldn't miss it if you if you tried like there's no way you could write a filter good enough to stop seeing information about this and yet then when you say move to the real world and you ask someone about it they'll have no idea what you're talking about like my book right. i know and everyone on the internet at this point basically is aware that some people on reddit think that the hedge funds in this story have lied and are um you know still lying and right. everyone online is aware that this thing is happening. But if you talk to people in the real world, <laughs> no, everyone's like, what? That's, I've never heard yeah. of this. So like, how much yeah, so I to say, I, there is? Right. Well, one of my neighbors actually is a stock trader. Like he's a day trader. That's what he does. Um, and I asked him, so tell me about GameStop. Are you, are you in on that? What do you think? He's like, oh, I, stay, I stay away from all that. I'm like, you were a day trader, an options trader, and you're not interested in the GameStop what's going on he goes no that's 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 online memes so exactly what you're saying like this offline online um i think it's two different cultures right and it's the same thing with like if you look at anything um so a lot of people are, are really big into the national football league um or even to, in, if in the uk the premier league right and some people could care less but if you didn't see that goal last night or you didn't see that catch last night uh, I'd say a third or half of the population is deeply invested in that. And, and the other half just couldn't care. Um, the same thing, there's an online culture of TikTok dances and um, Joe Rogan podcasts and GameStop memes that people on the internet are just deeply in. Um, but if you're just a casual Facebook surfer, no one, you, you don't care. And so to your point, uh, the the answer of does it become part of popular culture? I think it does, but it's not like if you're um, the ice bucket challenge, for example, if I think maybe was it five, six years ago that people actually physically took buckets of ice and poured it over their heads. Right. That was an actual physical thing that happened. Uh, and so it does find its way into mainstream culture. And then people often will talk about, you know, Donald Trump's Twitter account. Right. That's online becoming offline. Um, so it does have a big effect. But as far as the, the day to day updates of things, it's I, it, it does permeate the culture. Um, but it, it, I guess in a, in a, in a less. In a less uh, obvious way, I'd say. Um, but people, uh, will, will talk, they'll use language now that uh, has made its way from, from online. And so uh, I'm at a university, right? I've got a bunch of college kids and they will talk in acronyms. They'll say RIP when something bad happens, which means RIP, which means rest in peace, which means something bad happens. That's too bad. Rest in peace. But that just has become a word people say now, or, and so the language we learn from online does make its way offline into the real world, but it slowly happens because um, people aren't that invested all the time. But it's it's more of a, mm, it's not insidious, but it's more of a slow creep uh, of information. Okay. So, so it's kind of like yeah. maybe say kids in the 60s were going to their rock and roll clubs and the you know the parents were like what's this new culture and you know they had no idea that it was really going on or what was happening there but it so you're saying it's right. just like a like a new but quite large sort of subculture in a way yeah it's it's a new quite yeah it's, it's a subculture um and there's lots of small tiny pieces of the subculture um so for the for example the GameStop uh, subreddit, I mean, how many people are actually trading GameStop right now? Maybe a ten thousand or fewer, I would say. Way, way more, man. Like so many. You, no, currently. Mm -hmm. You think so? Minimum, like absolute minimum, about seven or eight hundred thousand. Really, seven or eight hundred thousand? Mm -hmm. 
It's it's so much bigger than. As, as, I, I mean, back back when it first started, yeah, it was like it was huge. Like they had to shut down uh, Robin Hood for a little while, right? It, it yeah, just yeah. broke the it broke the the clearinghouse. Yeah, well, we don't know what it broke. But, that's that's like literally coming out <laughs> at the minute. Like this is ridiculous. Like people like Ken Griffin lied was trending on Twitter last night, and then yeah, the, yeah. the hedge fund came out to like defend themselves on Twitter. It's like. Like that's that's not the actions of an innocent group because there was a bunch of text yeah. messages released and like it's so difficult to tell what actually happened at the minute. It's so like a swirling mess of wild accusations and. But is is it still? Are people still like this? Is now what six months later or no four months later or something? Are they still in it? And and, and there's there's five hundred thousand diamond hands out there. Yeah. It's really. I thought right. I thought it was. It this was is why so I'm everyone right. poured. Everyone poured ice on their heads. For like a month, and then it went away. A uh, Coney twenty twelve or whatever was a thing for like a month, and then it went away. Mm-hmm. But so this is this is has staying power, is what you're saying. Yeah, this this is what fascinates me about it. Is and this is what I was saying at the start is like this is not like a normal online community. Usually, yeah, they is... would have got bored, and instead exactly. of getting, instead of getting bored, what they've done is they've like tripled, quadrupled down. Like people haven't just like held since January. They've been buying more and more and more it's insane man <laughs> i need to get back so i actually had some some uh, a handful of my graduate students who actually spent a large amount of their salaries buying this so um <laughs> i hope they have hey, good, good on them so that's that's fine i didn't realize that it still was was so large still because i followed it and i got bored with it just like everyone else right but so i assume what happened with everyone but I, I, okay. No, there's still a very, very hardcore and dedicated group of people who are still thinking that the price is going to absolutely go through the roof again. And that what happened in January wasn't everything coming to a close, that it was some sort of price or market manipulation to make it look like they'd done that. And the past eight months has been the community all trading theories and trying to put together the evidence as it comes to them as to what the reality is um so it's and we're still waiting to see yeah what what's true and what's not because you know it could just still fizzle out and and be nothing but i don't know that's not what it feels like <laughs> to me at least yeah could, there's a I lot of caught up in it you know so i i find it difficult yeah. to judge <laughs> I'm gonna have to think about that a bit more. There's a, I, and this is part of kind of that um, popularity begets, right? There's this cumulative effect of things that people kind of go into this, and it maybe doesn't become a conspiracy theory that happens. And then, if, of course, if you tell someone who has a deeply held belief um, that this conspiracy theory is, you know. Show you show them evidence against the conspiracy theory. What do they do? Well, the response is, "Oh, it goes deeper than we thought." Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <sighs> no amount of facts will persuade someone if they're committed to that. Um, and that this is an interesting thing. You never want to um, make a person decide or make a person choose between what is true and what they want to be true. Because they will always disappoint you. People will seek out facts that confirm their deeply held beliefs. That is the story as old as time. That is one thing that I know for sure. <laughs> um, because it's hard to face that your worldview might be incorrect. And that's a tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. Especially if you deeply identify with something. If you try to convince um, a conservative that liberal's best, or a, a Jew that Christianity's best, or diamond hands to sell, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you're challenging their worldview. You're challenging their person. Yeah. And that's not, they're just going to go buy more. They're just going to just read the Bible more. They're going to, yeah. Yeah. No, so this is, a, this is a tough thing. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And it goes on, the, it works in that if you if you try and convince 
like a a Trump supporter that you know he kind of wasted his time in office and he you know he might have owned the libs but there's you know way more he could have done like to, to yeah. actually stand up for the you know values that he claimed to be espousing and he didn't do it and the same like or you can look at like people who you know love Joe Biden and you can say um I think he might be like a little bit kind of losing his mind a wee bit like dementia or he's you know he's there's yeah. some he's not all there at some time some points he's fine and some points he's just like not not there in the way you would hope and you should be able to look at either of those things and go well you know objectively yeah you've got a good point there but and that's the thing that pe- people will if i sit down at a dinner table and i have this conversation with someone they will because the social mores of being in person, be like, yeah, okay, I, I see your point of view, and 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 you will be compassionate and kind and willing to hear people out. But online, no, it, it goes to Hitler real quick. It always goes. That's Godwin's law, right? Mm-hmm. Given a long enough comment thread, Hitler will be mentioned. <laughs> um, for some reason, people online just can't. They can't take it i I don't know what it is but um it could be that people carefully craft their online presence if you're on facebook what i show on facebook is my best self i only show the good things when i travel when my when i when i look particularly dapper that day that's the photo i'm going to use but the days that i'm sick or my hair's all messed up, those photos don't go on. I, I'm carefully crafting that online presence. And if someone challenges that, uh, I spent so hard. And so you're challenging this person's image of themselves. And people can't take that. I think people have a really hard time about with that. Yeah. So I think it's it's also it's like um an in-group kind of thing. Cause it feels like even if it's some stranger on the internet that you're being spoken to by someone who's like right there in the room with you. And, and if they insult you, it's like way it's, it feels worse for some reason, or it can feel worse if you allow it to, unless you like, you can step back and go like, hang on, this is just some guy on the internet. Like this is just some, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> care what this person thinks. Yeah. And it's also, no one would say these things to a person's face. Right. I mean, it, some of the stuff you see online, you would never say it to an actual person. Like the, the cashier at the register or your barista, you wouldn't. There's no way um, yeah. people, uh, but they, they feel very safe behind the behind the keyboard. Yeah. 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 You wouldn't so. you wouldn't like if you saw like the cashier wearing like a, a MAGA pin, you wouldn't be like, well, mm-hmm. suck a dick, Trump tar and walk off. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> <laughs> You just you would just kind of roll your eyes and go away because you know when it wants actual confrontation. And I wonder if the same thing's on Zoom because so I can see you right now, but you're a thousand miles away. Mm. But nevertheless, I still I, I would feel bad, of, you know, to your virtual face <laughs> insulting you. So I, I wonder if if, if Zoom chats. Someone, someone's got to study that. If someone's listening, s- study. Trolls on Zoom. I want to. I want to hear about that. Mm, I mean, yeah. Well, I guess we used to have chat roulette, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Well, what was it Cartman says in the in the South Park episode where they're on chat roulette? And it's like this is how the world works. If you want to find some quality <laughs> friends, you got to wade through all the dicks first. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Which is yeah, terrible. Very accurate. Yep. <laughs> Oh, uh, I was never on chat roulette. That wasn't my jam. Oh, no, I don't think I did that a couple of times. But yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah. sometimes you got like funny people for like five minutes and then they yeah go away. But um, yeah. so do you buy, so do you know what the, the dead internet theory is that basically since about five years ago, the internet has yeah. been like 50% bots or more. Like, do you think that's, what do you make of that theory at least? Yeah, so... Yeah, it's in short, no. Um, I, I it's it's a, it's an interesting theory. I I see where they're coming from, though. I don't know who who initially espoused that, but there is some truth in that. And so the the truth that exists is that most of what we see online has been somehow goosed or manipulated or 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 um, 
artificially promoted. Uh, so there's 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 a whole cabal of of, of individuals and accounts that um, if I if I'm a, a trying to sell an agenda or a vacuum cleaner, I need to get people to see that post. So how do I do that? Well, I can buy an ad on Facebook and Twitter and Google, or I can manipulate the search rankings. It costs me $100,000 to run an ad campaign. It costs me $1,000 to buy a bunch of accounts to get them to like and share and upvote. So what am I going to do? That's obvious. I'm going to like and share and upvote. I'm, I'm going to manipulate that. And like we showed before, it only takes a handful of votes to get it to the front page. In fact, we, um, I, how do I say this? I couldn't do this because it's, it's unethical, but uh, there was a, a folks at uh, a point, which is, um, a, is a YouTube channel. Um, they, they have a, a video called um, Reddit for Sale. I encourage you to, to watch it. And what they did is they took, um, I think it was $75, and they bought a few hundred accounts, and they got a made-up article on Brexit. This was actually a few months before Brexit happened. Oh, yeah. Um, to the front page. And the article was just garbage. It was just someone pounding on the keyboard. But since no one actually reads the article, it doesn't matter. But the, the headline was important. The headline says it was pro-Brexit. And it stayed on the front page of Reddit and Twitter for about a day. And it cost 75 bucks. Um, it's easy, it's easy, easy as that. And it's the same kind of thing of, of early votes. You get attention. And then they think, I think they bought 200 votes, but at the end of the day, it got like 10,000 votes because people see it. They like the headline, they upvote it. Um, and they did the same thing with a video of Narcos season three, like a, like a trailer for, there is no Narcos season three. Um, <laughs> They spent $100, and then at the end of the day, um, I think it was HBO or Netflix or whoever it is, had to say there is no narco season three. So it just, it's a like 100 bucks. Now, so that, for your dead internet theory, there's, there's truth in that. So what is popular um, is completely, I mean, who's to say what will become popular? We actually ran a study of... of um, on Reddit and Imager, where we took a really popular image and an image that had just like five votes. And we asked 100,000 people, which one got more votes on Reddit or Imager or Facebook, which, you know, wherever we got it from. And we asked 100,000 people to play this kind of game. And if so, can you guess which image was more popular? It was called guessthekarma.com. And um, people played this game and uh, random random guessing is 50-50, 50% accuracy. People got the answer correct 52% of the time, which is to say something that had 100,000 votes and something that had 10 votes, it's indistinguishable, which is to say that what appears popular online is anyone's guess. Um, it's completely random. And it's impossible to predict. So, which is kind of unfortunate. I, I figured the algorithms would be better at surfacing content that people think is popular, but they're not. Ah, uh, okay. So this brings us very nicely to the next thing I wanted to ask about. So okay. I have, it's more of a like intuition. I wouldn't call it a belief. It's not based on that much other than like, talking to other people and them having not dismissed this out of hand essentially but there was a period in in at least for example in youtube's history right uh -huh. where the algorithm was incredible it was fantastic at showing me like a beautiful blend of like new things that i might like Thing, like new pieces, new videos from channels I subscribe to and um, old videos from channels I might have subscribed to recently. Or like it was like I would go on to my YouTube um, homepage and I would immediately be like, oh, want to watch this, want to watch this, want to watch this. And it was really, uh, was really, really, really good at, at figuring out what I wanted to watch. 
but over the last couple of years, it has got increasingly worse. Like it's to the point where sometimes I could scroll pages of my YouTube algorithm and not see one video that I want to watch. And the suggestions that I have seen at least um, is that the algorithm has been changed in order to promote the type of content that YouTube wants to have promoted and to demote or not push forward the content that they consider to be extreme or fringe or not advertiser friendly. Mm -hmm. Now, that to me is not, that's to me saying that we could make a really good algorithm if we wanted, but that there are conflicts of interests of what at the top of these companies with deciding what goes into the algorithm in terms of like trying to make it the most profitable for them, not just the best service. Um, so mm -hmm. basically, like I think that the reason for that is that there's, yeah, there's been attempts to manipulate an algorithm that was based on just giving people what they want. Yeah, so you're touching on something that is a balancing act. Uh, and so I know a lot of people at YouTube and Facebook and, you know, they went to school with many of them, they're friends of mine. Um, first point I want to make is that these people who are, who are trying their best to make these algorithms are, are they're, they're ethical, honest, hardworking people that you would probably get along with. Now, the, the, the bit to your question is there's a balancing act of giving people what they want to see. And then also running a business, not necessarily maximizing profits, but if, if you just get people what they want to see, um, we found that that devolves into unfortunate trash sometimes. Well, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Facebook, for example, has a problem right now where people are leaving it because there's nothing interesting on Facebook anymore. And then Facebook has this idea of and all of the content you see is all manipulated garbage. And so Facebook has this idea, this problem now is that where they have to show people what they want to see, but not show them garbage. And it's, it's, a, it's this balancing act of, of keeping, uh, making a, a service usable, um, but also keeping the servers on. Mm. And I think part of me, the capitalist in me, wants to say that this whole garbage internet is a, is going to fix itself because the companies have an incentive to not provide a crap service, All right? Now, people go to Facebook because there's a utility in Facebook. Mm -hmm. People go to YouTube and not, uh, I don't know, what's a um, media light or, wow, there's, there's some other um, services out there, I guess, because there's a utility in going to YouTube. Um, and they go to Google because there's a utility in going to Google. They can very easily go to back to MySpace if we wanted to. MySpace still exists. It's still, you can get an account and, and, and blog all you want. Um, as soon as people stop seeing the utility, they're going to stop going to it. Um, and so these companies have that balancing act of, and so maybe it'll self-correct. Like all the garbage we see, the companies will start like, you know, listen, no one's going to come to our Facebook site or Facebook if all we show them is garbage. Um, and I think that's starting to happen, actually. People have said they're going to Instagram and TikTok and other places. But then, of course, TikTok has its own problems. That, that as it becomes popular, the tragedy of the commons happens again. And then it starts to kind of, the wheels start to come off. Mm. No one's really figured it out yet. Um, but now to your question, has YouTube changed their algorithm? Probably, yes. Uh, the CEO of YouTube stepped down, I'm going to say, three or four years ago. And so there may be a, there's a new person at the helm, and so they might have a different way of of running things. Um, I have not, I don't have any inside information there. Um, in my experience, the companies they want to keep users having uh, thinking that there's utility coming to the site. They want to keep people on the site, um, and that's what the algorithms are optimized for. So I'm actually an AI machine learning scientist. That's that's my primary goal. Um, and so how these these systems work is that there's a function that they have to optimize. And in machine learning, there's usually like accuracy, precision, recall. 
Is the answer that the algorithm provided the answer that is correct? Now for Facebook and YouTube and, and Reddit, the algorithm, the optimization is, did the person click on the ad? Did the person stay on the site? The optimization is not, did this person get good information? And so I'm sure that YouTube is constantly tweaking what they're optimizing for. Um, and maybe they they steered it one way or the other, and and that's probably the changes that you're seeing. Yeah, no, I'm aware, like of 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 at least some of the direction that YouTube have decided to push their algorithm in, and it's to promote like the the sort of larger, more corporate channels. Um, like people have accused it of of yeah, not lo no longer being YouTube because it's not people like you anymore yeah. doing the the creating and which to, to your point actually is making new services sort of pop up i think we're gonna we're gonna see just how powerful these big companies have become um when we see if they still have their monopoly as such in five to yeah 10 so years. if tiktok if tiktok comes up will youtube put their thumb on it and 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 somehow Mm, you know, I think, crush TikTok. I think TikTok is probably closer to Instagram, and yeah, you're probably YouTube's right. Main um, competitor is actually, I'd say, Odyssey.com at the minute. Sure, Rumble. Okay. Um, so that those those are the two places that I'm looking at. Because yeah. like in an ideal world, right, what would happen is YouTube would see their competitors coming, and if they were doing things in a way that was bringing them a lot more customers, YouTube would self-correct and go, hey, hang on, we're losing this part of the market because we're doing X, let's try Y instead. And and like you said, mm -hmm. like we might be in this nice place where we get to a point that we're just sort of we're in the middle of a whole bunch of teething problems for a new technology that we probably don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's true. Like every time there's a new technology that's come about, be it the, the printing press, uh, the, the assembly line, the newspaper industries, the television and radio, it's taken society a good, you know, 15, 20 years to kind of figure it out, understand it, grapple with it, and then it has a nice maybe 15, 20 years of kind of glide path, and then something else comes along and disrupts it. Mm. Uh, and we're in probably that the middle of the grappling with what is social media right now. Um, the next thing coming out will be probably AI and trust and in information. Uh, that's my next thing is, is uh, at some point, the videos that you see online, uh, how do you know that this is an actual video shot by an actual camera and not some uh, Marvel um, com uh, Marvel movie that was, you know, stitched together and AI'd? Uh, it's it's going to be difficult to understand, to distinguish the two. Um, what do you think of and that's when, blockchain stamps on things like that to prove authenticity? Yeah. Yeah, I actually had a conversation with a cryptographer yesterday about exactly this. We just somehow stamp it. But then, yeah, but the, what you can do is just take a screenshot and then re-upload something to the blockchain. And so this is, these are difficult things. There's a whole, the W3C, which is the, the standards organization on the web, um, is trying to figure out right now, I'm a member of that, of that group, is trying to figure out how do we establish that this content is authentic and credible. Um, it's a difficult thing that we're we're trying to figure out, but it's tough. And as soon as we do, there'll be some someone will come along with a way to circumvent it. It's it's kind of one of those bullets and armor. Every as we get better munitions, we got to get better armor. We get better armor, we have to get better munitions. And that's the that's the way it's always been, and it'll continue to be. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like an evolutionary arms race. We're fighting yeah. the ads, or fighting the the trolls, or whoever you see to be yeah. an enemy on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm still though. I'm waiting on, and tell me if I'm wrong, but where are where are all the deep fakes? I was promised deep fakes. Yeah, and I haven't seen any. Yeah, I mean, like every deep fake I see is, oh, this is a deep fake. Look how good it's getting. But there's not actually been, to my knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I guess 
Maybe it's a. Can you can you think of something that was like that that went out and everyone was concerned and convinced that Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or or, or Boris Johnson said a thing, but no, that was an actually deep fake. Mm. I can't. I know there was a there was a very convincing Obama video. Um. But like they announced it as a deep fake when they put it out. They were like, look, like you said, look how good this Obama video is. I haven't seen that exactly. happen. I was incredibly concerned that was going to happen. I mean, you you had other fireworks of your own, but I was concerned yeah. that that was something like that was going to happen during the election. It would be like, like so, someone would put out like a video of Joe Biden or Donald Trump conceding and then, <laughs> or something like that, like a, like a fake. Yeah. That's a good That's true. I actually think since something that I'm, I'm wondering is I, I think the shallow fakes and just the, the simple the, the simple MS paint manipulations are actually where a lot of the the content is these just these memes yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people will post these and make these and they're trying to say a point make a point and people will take them and reshare them and re uh, not manipulate but alter them and, and use them for their own purposes. They're clearly fake. I mean, it's not. They're not trying to be convincing, but they're they're using imagery to spread a message, and that's something that I think has been has been, has been taking off in the past year or so, and will continue to really um, grow and expand. People people communi- communicate now via images. Do you think that's only the last year or two? Well, you know, it's it's been a, it's, it's been happening for the past four years, five years, but in my I've seen it expanding tremendously in the past year or so. Um, but you're right, it's been all, all around for a long time. But it was just kind of a – I remember seeing it was kind of a fringe thing where people like – I think it was it was 4chan and, and 8chan that was big into doing this. But now it's, it's, it's coming a lot on mainstream social media like on Reddit and, and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, it's happening a lot more now. Well, we'll see where it takes us, but um, so that's where I'm not concerned so much about deep fakes. I'm more concerned about the spread of this this imagery and and what these imageries this imagery is trying to say. Can you give me an example so, of it of the thing that you've like like more specifically? If you got something you could like, suggest? yeah. Um, so we're actually been studying Indonesia, okay, right now, and in in in, in Indonesia. Um, there was a presidential election a year, maybe two years ago now, and there's um, there's hand gestures that you make. So one means I'm voting for um, the number one on the ballot, and this finger thumb means you're voting for number two on the ballot. And people will take that finger and finger and thumb, and they'll superimpose it on other images to say that this person is supporting the challenger, this person is supporting the the current president, um, and that's that kind of um, copy paste is is huge over there right now it, it's kind of a meme in itself where it said this person is a stupid um you know supporter of the of the opposition this was this person's a stupid supporter of the um of the current president uh that's something that comes to mind initially there's also the idea of uh, do you know like the winnie the pooh meme yeah um that's uh, people are talking about um, Xi Jinping. So they'll, they'll just put Winnie the Pooh's in things to say this is Xi Jinping doing something that they don't like. Um, I love this type of commentary that is really difficult to track. You can't just do it's not a hashtag. You can't just search for it. Um, it's it's a new mode of communication, and also with just um, emojis, right? Apparently. Um, their emojis mean things that they don't mean. Um, oh, and this yeah. is a whole language, it's a yeah, whole yeah, sub language yeah, yeah. I don't understand. It's like it's like the symbols on the alethiometer in the Northern Lights. Um, I don't know if you've read that series of books, it was by Philip Pullman, it's called His Dark Materials. It got turned into a film with Nicole. Oh, Kim. yeah, no, it became an HBO series, right? Yeah, yeah, right. I, oh, I yeah. need to watch the second half of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so and it's interesting so we went from hieroglyphics to papyrus to latin text now we're, we're back to hieroglyphics again which is kind of an interesting yeah arc 
in our yeah, communication. Well, so, I mean, maybe what we saw of the ancient Egyptians was just the tail end of a very smart society. And that's what we've got to now that's with, true. With, with emojis. <laughs> of course. <laughs> they they spoke in emojis and we speak in emojis. Um, yeah, but it, but the, the point of, of that is it's really difficult to kind of, to have, I don't know, political parties or um, organizations or hate groups grok what's what's being said because it's a subculture and they just don't understand the language. I don't understand the language. And I, I work with college students all day long and they don't understand the language. So Gospel. it's a brave new world out there, Josh. And I don't I don't have I don't have the answers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have I'm of the theory that like what you're saying has been around for quite a while longer. Um I don't think I don't think we have Donald Trump without that phenomenon. So I think it's been a lot more prevalent, at least on in parts of the internet, than um, perhaps even you're saying. Uh, but then you could be talking about something far more specific um, and like a particular yeah. genre of what I'm sort of referring to. But memes definitely rule the world. Um, but anyway, uh, Tim, yeah. I know I've been taking a lot of your time here. Uh, so do you want to tell people where they can find you and your work and um, you know, social media or, or whatever you want to plug? Yeah. Um, so I, I actually don't have a Twitter account. Well, I have a, tw a Twitter account, but um, I am not active. Uh, you can find me at timwinniger.com. Um, just just Google it. Um, you can see my work, uh, some of my research papers and videos on it. Otherwise, you can you can Google changing the hive mind and watch that video. Also, Reddit for sale. Um, and I highly encourage you all to go and, and check that out um, by uh, by point. Um, otherwise, Josh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Um, and thanks for your interesting questions and um, uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks, man. It was a pleasure to chat to you. You definitely gave me some cool ideas to think about. Um, if you end up in the book, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> Please. Yeah, sure that's wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, for every uh, all the links for the things you just said, I will stick in the description below. I was just making a note of what to remember to do. Um, so yeah, I'll put that in the description below for people. But um, yeah, man, thanks very much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate you tuning in and making it all the way to the end of the show. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.